Welcome, everybody, to We Made You a Song, the podcast by The Steel Wheels and producing partner WMRA. I'm Trent Wagler of The Steel Wheels, and this is a special bonus episode. As you may already know, most of the time on We Made You a Song, we work through the story of a specific song from our Everyone a Song project, but this week is different. Uh, or I should say, this episode is different, um, because it's coming out the same week as our episode for It's Your Fault, but it's a bonus chat with our former bass player and part of the inspiration for the song It's Your Fault, Brian Dickel. Our podcast is brought to you by Old Hill Cider in Timberville, Virginia. If you're going to listen to this whole podcast, it sounds somewhere like 32% more interesting after drinking an Old Hill Cider. This family-owned Shenandoah Valley Apple Orchard knows the apples from the seeds to the cider. They have their roots so deep in the soil you can taste that depth in every single one of their products. So go out to Showalter's Orchard, pay them a visit in Timberville, Virginia, or go to showaltersorchard.com. Old Hill Cider. You should check them out. So, I'm here in my basement with Brian Dickel. Welcome to We Made You a Song. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. We got this prestigious, vibey basement. Yeah, I haven't been in the studio <laughs> for a little while. Yes, exactly. Um, so, Brian, we're gonna we're gonna do something different today and just kind of relax a little bit. We don't have a song we're talking about, but many of our listeners uh, will recognize your voice from previous podcasts. Also, you've been the really one and only bass player for the Steel Wheels since 2005 when we first played some shows as Trent Wagler in the Steel Wheels and all the way through until this summer. And um, so I thought it would be fun to kind of do a, a retrospective, an exit interview of sorts of <laughs> whether we're... Uh, just I don't know. You you've also always been, I think, the best uh like you've always been the be- the person and talking about names, you're the person who can can launch into us we can launch into a story and you're like, Oh yeah, that's Toby from such and such a Kentucky or whatever, and the rest of us are like, Wow, you know, you're got some of those names tucked away. I've got a good memory for obscure facts <laughs> and forget the important thing. <laughs> well, I know, and, and so we're really losing a, a bit of our band oral history. Um, but I hope, yeah, I hope that we can just kind of, it can be fun to just talk about road stories, talk about being a band on tour and maybe even just a little bit about what it was like to come up through the ranks, um, going from complete obscurity to, uh, middling (laughs) (laughs) relative recognition occasionally, (laughs) occasional recognition (laughs) in the Americana (laughs) music scene. Uh, but you know, just to kind of talk maybe about what we've learned, what uh, how it what it was like, like what we what we did trying to go through some of those things. So um, maybe we can start with how you would tell the story of starting the band, the Steel Wheels. What take us back to that? Yeah, time. not too dissimilar from what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. It was me and you getting together. I can distinctly remember it was about one week before your daughter was born. Which is a terrible time to start talking about forming a band. What do you hey, mean? I'm about ready to have an infant. <laughs> Let's talk about doing something that's irresponsible about, 
right. life choices and something that won't that. make money. <laughs> yeah, something that will take all of your evenings. Yeah, uh, away from the house. Yes, <laughs> you know all those things. But right. anyhow, somehow despite all of that, I do remember we had an initial talk in in your living room at the time at your other house, mm-hmm. and and then it was like, well, I'm about ready to have a baby, so we probably won't get together for a little while. Right. It was probably like a month or so, and you, you reach back out and. Must have been settled in as a dad by that point. You're like, I got this thing. I'm oh, a, I've got to figure I'm it one out. One month in, <laughs> it's time to start playing some music. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I forget where it went from there. I can, I think our first gig, if you can call it that. I think we were booked for like two songs. I want to say Minnow Folk. Okay. I can remember we played Blue Ridge Mountains, <laughs> and I can't recall. I think we did CC Rider as the second tune. The only two tunes are just me and you at so that point. Where, If that is true, what would have been the venue? EMHS. Okay. So Possibly like, like a cafeteria Oh, like a, like, a coff- like a night coffee house kind of thing? Yeah, it wouldn't we were, have been the actual festival, right? We were a part of it, but it was like we okay. were in the little, the little mingling station. So this was, perhaps. I mean, this is going way back in, into a, an era that probably very few listeners would care to remember but it there was like a short-lived mennonite folk festival yes. in harrisonburg virginia yes yes ticking off all those boxes of but uh, over the rhine yeah where you all just played their festival to right. take it full circle yeah was either i think they were at that one maybe or the second we yeah. played two of them right right they were either that one or the second one which is you know it's kind of funny that yeah. all these years later it finally came back around Right, right, yeah. So it was a, it was a, it was called Mental Folk, and there were a couple years where they did a festival, and yeah, it was, it was a cool collection. And I mean, for listeners out there, if you're not familiar with the Mennonite community, I will just say that there are some surprisingly uh, amazing musicians that have come up through the Mennonite community, or who call themselves Mennonite, or who are, uh, you know, came from that community in one way or another, and so. It was a pretty cool lineup, yeah. honestly. There were a lot of cool musicians. And, I mean, we hung our touring in the early, if you can call it touring, our first tours early on that those Mennonite ties. Mm-hmm. That was some safe touring of like, well, I know a lot of people in this community <laughs> in Indiana. Yeah. So we go there and suddenly it's like, well, they all showed up. Right, right. No, that's true. That that was a, a real, like, when you start to think about doing shows outside of your home community, uh, for us, yeah, we were looking for... Where could we find a place to stay? Where would there be people who yeah. would care and show up? And so, you know, I grew up in Kansas. You grew up in Iowa. Uh, Jay had contacts and connections to Indiana. And all of those communities were Mennonite because that's where we all grew up. And so that was our tour. We designed at least yeah. one of our first tours was, uh, yeah, that Midwestern run that went out to Newton, Kansas. It's a smart way to do it because we got paid a little bit of money. And people came out because they're our friends and family, and it's not like just hopping in the. I I've always said to everybody, it's like you know that asks about this career of like if we would have would have been like twenty years old and just gotten a van and started pounding the pavement, I think the steel wheels would not exist anymore. We right. probably would have burned ourselves out. We wouldn't have made any money. Yeah, you know. So we we were very strategic and safe with the way we toured early of like. People are like, you got an audience in Kansas? I'm like, yeah. 
we do. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a hotbed, but we're <laughs> we're going straight from Virginia to driving to Kansas to play a show. Right. You know, and well, it made sense for us. Yeah, and you mentioned that my daughter was born, you know, literally right at the same time that we first started talking, and that would have actually been 04, 2004, and <clears throat> by the time summer of 2005 rolled around i had a solo album that i had recorded really a month or two after maya was born and i recorded that at jay's studio and so that's how the band really it was like we were kind of picking up pieces and parts along the way because you and i started playing and we did play a few duo either short sets or a few songs here or there or even I think we did at least one or two full shows at like yeah, Dave's Taverna. Dave's Taverna. <laughs> I was the old trick then. I was just telling somebody about it the other week. Of at some point, first set would always be early enough that we'd have a few people that like our parents Came kind to of see us. Yeah, that would come yeah. to see us. By second set, it was nobody except for the college kids at the bar. Our our running thing was trying to figure out if we could say thank you before anybody would applaud. Yeah, and so half the time it'd be like complete silence at the end of the song, and you'd be like. Thank you. And it's just like, that's just like a trigger somebody at the bar always to start clapping. It's like, yeah, they, it's just like a Pavlov's dog thing of like, they hear the little bell ring and it's like, oh, somebody said, thank you. That song was great. No, I know. And I mean, <laughs> those are the, like those shows, it, uh, it's such a beat down to go back to like, think about going back to that kind of thing after you've been doing it for a long time. But I don't know. Like, do you think that that's. I mean, I've heard other people. I feel, I feel like it's been said a lot that, like, well, that's what you got to do if you really want to put on the put in those, you know, ten thousand hours or whatever it is uh, to master your craft. You're just gonna have to do it. And what, yeah. I don't know. What do you think of that? Is I that- do think there was a lot of value in it. You know, we were all working day jobs at the time too, so we we weren't willing to travel too far because we needed the actual money coming in. <laughs> but like, you know, we probably played five ish years regionally but a lot of shows we were playing 70 shows a year sometimes 80 shows a year and working the day jobs but like we did by the time you do five years of that you know 60 to 80 shows a year you've played a lot of shows before anybody even knows who you are when you say you know let's push this out there a little bit so like your stage show i'm sure was way more comfortable you know by that point on the mic like you're really under the pressure night in night out of like well i'm I'm kind of the entertainer. I'm the MC of the whole event. Right, right. And performing the song. So, like, I think those chops get honed yeah. really well, especially on those gigs where, like, oh. the kid at the bar doesn't clap until you say thank you. Like, yeah. th- you can do anything you want at that point. And if it flops, right. it's no different than the guy that already didn't know you were playing a song. So. I, I do think you're right that, like, some of that is a lot like what I hear stand-up comedy is like, where you're just, you know, yeah. you're playing to some, you know. Talk about a tough job. Oh, man. <laughs> you're bombing, and yet you're just, you got to go through that. And, and yeah, with us, like, if I'm like, if I make a joke on the mic and it flops, you can start into a song, and that's exactly. the magic of music is, like, it sort of resets the the room. Um, so I never feel like we're fully depending on that. But, yeah, in terms of developing a style of like banter and or just a perspective of like, well, that doesn't work. Maybe we shouldn't put ourselves down, you know, like, thing, like <laughs> yeah. there's things that you see from a very young artist sometimes where they're like, well, I shouldn't have done that one or whatever. And you're like, no, don't do that. You yeah. know, but it's yeah, sort of like you totally. kind of have to go through some of those impulses on stage 
and realize that's not working. Oh, this is working, you know, or, you know, like you were saying, I mean, some of those nights we were playing, I think about like we played at the the, the local resort uh, in yeah. Rockingham County is the Massanutten Resort. Every and, Thursday. Yeah. I mean, they had three different venues we played. There was the golf course, there was the ski lodge, and there was the, ooh, the water park. Everybody's and, favorite. Man, the water park. <laughs> we didn't play a lot at the water park. No, that was the newest venue <laughs> when we were just getting out. Yeah. But we, man, we saved a bunch of money from those gigs when we were doing our, yeah, our day jobs. We just sort of threw those $300 checks or whatever yep. it was for the whole band for three and a half hours or whatever we had to play uh, into the bank. And we, you know, we, we sort of saved up for our first album that way. I mean, and yeah, after night after night after night of like, dealing with a whole table of snowboarders that like do not care <laughs> at all that you're playing music and trying your best to just be like if I can get a couple of those guys to give one you know just give a shit about one song like yeah. that'll be <laughs> like I a victory I can still remember our big moment I think when we finally after playing it for a year or so where we felt like all right we've we've arrived enough to do this Eric turned around and turned the TV off over our head. <laughs> that was a that was a clear sign that we yeah. were like, listen. Because I do remember the wait staff being like, I don't know if the management's going to like that. And we're like, you know what? We have played here every Thursday for a year. We deserve to have somebody. You think they're cheering for you, and then you look at their eyes, and it's like just right over your head. Oh, it's oh, the Lakers. Home run. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that said, I did also watch some basketball from some of those gigs <laughs> behind the bar because it was kind of like, you know what? Nobody's paying attention to me. My hands seem to know this music, and I can. I gotta watch this game going over. Get here. into autopilot, yeah. yeah. So, so that those were the early days. I mean, we did our share of busking. Uh, we played, you know, any gig that would have us really. And it's hard when you're getting started out to find like, yeah, when you know. I mean, I think the the biggest discouraging thing when you're that in that place as a band is like you know the room or the venue you want to play. But you just have no chance. You have yeah. no audience. You have no recordings. You have no nothing. You have no fans. You can't say, oh, I'm going to play the Jefferson Theater in Charlottesville or even the Southern Music Hall in Charlottesville because you, you just can't start yeah. there. And so at the at the beginning, you're just looking for, oh, there's a church coffee house. Okay, we'll play. There's an open mic. Yeah, we'll do it. You know, it's anywhere and anything. And you know, the interesting part is when you were saying that, I don't know that, I mean, maybe this is like too much insider information, but I don't know that feeling ever changes. It's just the scale changes. Mm -hmm. We're all like, oh man, if we had only played this festival or, yeah. or this room and then you play it and you're like, that was awesome. Right. Well, now if we'd only, you know, you're yeah. always on the hunt, which I think is a good drive. Sure. But it also can be like, you know, whatever the Mass Nutton Resort was now you know, we're like, well, why aren't we playing the Ryman or, right. you know, all right. those things. Yeah. 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 You, you keep coming back to the same venue that you've been playing for three or four years and you think, well, are we not growing? Are we not doing things right? And yeah, you can feel a sense of, there's a lot of bands that would love to do what we're doing right now. Right. And right. the same way that we look at a lot of bands that we'd love to be doing what they're doing right now. Yeah. I think that's just human nature i think but yeah yeah it is fun to reflect back on and like you know what played some good shows you know and <laughs> yeah. we played some really bad ones and, oh man you know over those course of years it has grown into you know the shows are quality now right right so when you were i mean you've recently gone back to huss and dalton which is 
uh, why uh, you know you you've, you're making the transition away from the steel wheels. Uh, but that was also your job that you yeah. left. And so in those days that we're talking about where we started the band, uh, you were still building guitars and you had been for a while uh, at Huss and Dalton. Um, and then talk about like that decision that you made to quit that day job and go on the road and and what that represented or that whole process. Yeah, yeah. So I, would, I had been at Huss and Dalton Guitars, which is where I'm at now as, as half owner as an employee for 10 years. So five of those years roughly would have overlapped with the steel wheels is like working the day job, playing music at night and then, you know, waking up and doing it again. Um, so the, at that point I was production manager there. I was kind of overseeing the day to day, like production of employees and guitars. And then we started, I don't know. I can't remember if, what we were even playing at that time, like what speaking of venue levels and things like that, but something just felt like the steel wheels have some potential. I had never, I don't know if any of us had ever set off to be like full-time musicians. Like, right. That really wasn't something we talked about. It's not something we hammered out. You know, we played five years and still hadn't really discussed. Is this a career? Yeah, it's funny. You're right. Like we didn't, it's not like, I mean, I don't know. There's probably people out there who have those like vision boards. You know, they're very clear yeah. with like, this is the goal. We never did that. We didn't. In, in fact, it was just more like, look what we did. You know? Yeah. Oh, we got another cool. We got another show somewhere. Yeah. You know? Um, and so yeah, and it got to a point. We must have been playing enough shows that I can distinctly recall feeling like I'm not showing up enough to this day job to feel like I should be the manager. Ah, <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of like I'm supposed to be in charge. Yeah. And, you know, at, at the very least, most of our weekends were at least, you know, four day kind of weekends. We were kind of extending things just a little bit. Yeah. You know, or, it, you know, or you're just exhausted, you know. Right. Like, well, I just played Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and now I'm back up, you know, 6 a.m. to drive down to my job. Well, and I do remember, too, in those days when you talk about, like, how in the early days of a band, how to make it a viable financial thing you start to look and get into it. And I remember, I think it was Jeff Huss, actually, that I recall telling us, like, the money is in the private gigs, you know? Yeah. So, like, if you're looking to, like, get into a money side, like, get in, find where that's happening. Because, yeah, you can play the, you can play Mass and Nutton for 300 bucks a night, but you can get $1,500 a night playing a private party yeah. or playing a wedding or whatever. And we started doing weddings in those days. That was previous to the full-time touring. But I remember, yeah, we had at least one, there was one Saturday where I think we did two weddings and a show at the Clementine. Yeah, in that's what I was going to say. I think we did oh. <laughs> two weddings. We're all in our own sound except for <laughs> at Clementine. Yeah. But yeah, I did two weddings and then I think Clementine started at nine. So we were mm. able to load in, yeah. roll in. That is crazy. <laughs> it is. But but yeah, we were for for us having come from $300 sure for a gig uh for three of us, we suddenly were getting to the place where wait a minute, we made, you know, we might have made 4,000, 5,000 bucks on a Saturday and you're like, "Whoa, all of yeah. a sudden it starts to feel like, no, we're still not breaking the bank when you yeah. start to put in all the costs of travel and everything." But it does sort of change your orientation to it of being like, "Huh, Maybe there's something in this. Yeah. That... So around that time when we, I think we all started questioning it a little bit. Jay, 
who was... I guess he was living in Michigan at that point, or maybe he was still Indiana. I can't recall. Probably still Indiana at that. Yeah. Moment. So he yeah. he was. Uh, had but he was just about got, to get married. Yeah, he either had just gotten married or was about to get married, and we kind of started talking. We would grab Jay for extended little runs when we could. He was playing in another band, so it, around that time, I think Jay and I started talking a little bit about like I don't know, this feels like that has a has a chance, you know, like. And I've always said like I would not have become a full time musician with anybody else other than this band, my friends mm. and like your songwriting, like everything was just like this, this is good. Mm. You know, this is, this is really good. And I think it has some life beyond 250 mile radius of Harrisonburg, Virginia. Yeah. And so it was kind of this big mental hurdle then of like, can, can I quit a guaranteed salary and go into an unknown world where we're not a household name at all. Right. But I do, I do distinctly remember being scared to death of that decision, and also once I finally did it, a bit of relief of like, okay, I'm all in. You know, mm-hmm. we got to figure this out. And and around the exact same time, Jay was also like, I quit my other band. Yeah, I'm all in. Yeah, I remember it too as being like simultaneous timing where both of you did that big move, yeah. and it was like a huge vote of confidence for me. And I think for the band going forward, it was like, oh man, okay. Now yeah. the a little bit of pressure too of like, all right, if we weren't in before now, and I, I was still working a day job. Yeah. Uh, At least switched. you were the last. I think I was. The last. <laughs> it's like, I don't know guys. It's <laughs> like, but wait, we put all of our trust into your songs. <laughs> yeah. I'm not so sure that was a good idea. Yeah. No, I, but yeah, I mean, I, I sort of slowly, uh, backed out the back door with my job and went down to like part time and then eventually moved out of it. But, uh, but yeah, that was a huge pivotal moment and it did free up a lot of time. And, and what that also meant was like the back end of the band where it had been sort of more of the weekend warrior thing. So we're yeah. like, I don't know, we'll throw a poster out that's real kind of just slipshod. All of a sudden, it, we started to take it more seriously and had more of a professional musician approach to things yeah which was really slow and you yeah. know and like still doing a lot of it ourselves but we just you know took it seriously and- yeah and i can still very distinctly i'm sure i know you do too remember that first you and jay and myself went on just a few yeah early runs and like man those were rough like we drove all the way to atlanta for an open mic yeah we did because eddie's we attic because we yeah. couldn't get a show there any other way Right. Or at least in our mind, because nobody knew who our name. Yeah. But everything we always said is like, if somebody hears us, they always invite us back. Right. And that was really true in those early days. And maybe even still of like, just give us a chance. Just give us a chance. Let us play. And, and you'll like it. Mm-hmm. You know, it may not yeah. be your favorite thing, but you'll, we're a good show. Right. We and were in, confident in that part. And I, I assume that something like this still happens at Eddie's Attic, although I guess I don't know, but Eddie's Attic was kind of this legendary listening room uh venue in sort of just outside of atlanta but people consider it kind of an atlanta venue and uh yeah we went there for this open mic and it it was this destination open mic because there's all this history there of like the indigo girls and john mayer and a bunch of other big names having come through that same venue and so but it was like a shootout and so it it was like a voted upon like a competition kind (laughs) of And so you show up, you do your two songs at the open mic, and then people kind of vote, or some somebody judges, and then you have like finalists, and then out of that, 
out of all these nights, you get to go to like, I don't know, kind of this championship round. There's various rounds. And we never went back for another round of the open mic, but we thought, man, if we can just play for Eddie and play for the venue, maybe we'll get a show. And we did. And yeah, so that was... Had the exact result that we were hoping for. It was what we wanted, but it was also... This, the, on that same <laughs> run, we went to the down home in Johnson City. Did the same thing. And did the same thing where we played the open mic. And that one was not a shootout. That was like us and one other participant. Like <laughs> yeah. the open mic was very open. But we got a gig. <laughs> But we got a gig out of it. You got a gig out of both of those. So, yeah, those those were those like paying your dues kind of gigs and runs where, yeah, we're piling into a little station wagon and just playing anywhere we can. I can still remember in, I think it was after the Eddie's Attic show or the next day or something, we walked into an Applebee's, which is probably the last time we were ever into one. And the guy (laughs) sitting at the door is like, I recognize you guys. Yeah, you guys are musicians. <laughs> and we're like, well, we are, but there is no way. We literally just played our first show out in in, in Georgia. Yeah, it's very unlikely. <laughs> and it's not even a show. Us. We yeah. played an open mic, but he was adamant about it, and we just kind of went with it after a yeah. while. I was like, thanks, oh, yeah, man. man this, so this is what it's all about, right? <laughs> this Being happens recognized every, everywhere you go. Yeah. Would you like me to sign your signature <laughs> chicken sandwich there? So then we were on the road, and I mean, I don't know if you can say the rest is history, because boy, there's a lot of different eras of the band, but you you took a large part of the business side, um, as well as, of, of course, being the bass player. You were our graphic designer. You were our social media expert. Uh, you were our photographer at times. Uh, definitely our in-house mechanic for the van. Um and yeah, as well as being one of the main contacts for most venues and and booking agent and everything. And what would you say over the years of touring and everything? What stands out to you as like some of the best or proudest moments? You know, we started in you know busking out front of like an ice cream shop. But what you know, what were some of the moments that are stand out to you as highlights as you look back over the over the years? Yeah, I th- I think one of our first big gets that we all felt like was a big deal and still is. We got to play Merlefest in I don't know what the first year we played there. We had Red Wing was a pretty think, new album. So I think we had Lay Down Lay Low though too. Oh, maybe we, we did. did. We did play Rain in the Valley. Yeah, I right. bet it was 2011 or you're, maybe you're probably 12. Right. Yeah. Oh, I think it was 2011 because I think I think that was the era we were playing with Oliver but Eric was like, right. I want to be there for Merlefest if I can. He was the only one with any stage time at Merlefest. <laughs> Little known trivia fact. Right. He once played a Huss and Dalton giveaway guitar on the cabin stage <laughs> <laughs> in like 2002 or something. Famous. Very famous. famous. A lot of people remembered it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, f- I felt like that was a big moment. And and we got we were complete unknowns in North Carolina, more or less, at that point. And suddenly, all I can remember is like, Eric was in charge of getting the merchandise to the merchandise tent. And they just kept sending word of like, well, those 17 CDs you brought down are all sold out. Like we just kept like <laughs> shortchanging it. Like who would want to buy? Right. And I remember by the end of the day, we were like, Eric's like, I've looked under every seat in the van. Like, yeah. I found a few that were laying underneath there. Right. We are out. Yeah. And it blew us away of like, it was a real kickstart and a real like this moment of like, oh, like, we're not a big deal, but this was a big deal to us. This, well, yeah, that festival was like a marker for us for a while of like, we need to play Merle Fest. Yeah. And we kept toying around, just flirting with the... And it's funny to look back on it now. Like, we had 
by all standards had been a band for two years in most people's minds or a year and a half yeah, yeah. and we're like all impatient like why haven't we played merle fest it's <laughs> like you know it, but i guess it's good to have that naive drive yeah. of like we deserve to play merle fest right and we did right. and you know we did deserve to be there and when it finally happened it was like it was great you yeah. know and it, it it did that that kind of felt like this little moment of like okay you know in north carolina after that was a real hotbed for us we sure. you know we would go to western north carolina in any surrounding communities and have a lot of good, like just those initial growth years are fun. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, you go from a complete unknown to a semi known and that just feels like, Whoa. Right. We suddenly pulled 200 people in North Carolina and I didn't even know anybody here a year ago, you know? Right. You know, you're not, you're not filling an arena, but it, it might as well be. Well, and that's the magic of a music festival, that it draws a bunch of people to see maybe the headliners, and then even for the people who don't realize it's happening, they're discovering other musicians, and they might pay attention. And then even if, you know, at at Merle Fest, we're talking like, I mean, how many thousands? I mean, they have like, whatever, 30,000, 40,000 people total over the weekend. And so, you know, if you're getting that kind of exposure, even if you just get... 200 of those people to show up the next time <laughs> that's, that's you come all we through. need <laughs> yeah, <right>? that's a <laughs> huge deal when you're a st- when you're starting out remember your first 30 seconds of merle fest oh my goodness <laughs> yes talk about a, a lesson learned or maybe i don't know i'm sure I, i'll do it again the funny part is i do recall you and i having a discussion because i had i think i had my your guitar guitar on the road yeah Jay was playing it sometime and we we're just we had a little the cabin stage if anybody's familiar with merle fest is a small what we call tweener set so you got your main stage. This one's a hundred feet away. Just you just turn your head, and you get like three songs, four songs, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty short. Yeah, it's a short. You know, while they're turning over the stage to the next act, and Trent and I, we only had you know whatever three or four songs, and one was a cappella, so we only need an instrument for three <laughs> songs. And we're like, you know, this is a tiny stage. We barely fit on here anyhow. We're just we're gonna bare bones this. There's no reason I would ever need another guitar on this. Right. I, I think I just... just despair. In fact, I probably only played guitar. I probably didn't even play banjo on that set. Uh, and we started with Rain in the Valley, which is an acapella song. Yep. Really, you know, get people's attention. And then the very first song, probably in, within the first chorus of the first song, I break a string on that guitar and of course, everything's going out of tune. Playing a five-string guitar. Playing the five-string guitar. Our big moment we've been waiting for. Oh, I was sweating bullets, <laughs> just like such nervousness. Because it's just like, yes, of course, Murphy's Law. Like, here we get this huge opportunity we've been hoping for. And then within that first song, the string breaks. And, and it's in your head, yeah. too, because you're like, wow, man, all these people this are looking at me. I'm trying great. to make this great first impression. Well, and you, you've got, <laughs> like, as a guitar player, you're also like Doc Watson. I mean, Doc Watson yeah, was there. He was still alive. 100 feet he's, away watching you, for all you the, know. Like, he's the epitome of acoustic guitar playing, as far as I'm concerned. And he's a legend. And, and you think about, like, that's what this festival is about. It's about these brilliant pickers and the nuances of each you know like yeah. of, the, of the playing of those guitars and here i clang like break a string and so yeah i tuned up the best i could for the rest of those like three or four songs but it went well apparently like we sold everything well we that's had. what's funny is like yeah i think that the the moxie to like just barrel through and probably that acapella song really did grab their attention and and yeah, I mean, we we had something that people responded to because there's we, where those five years of bad gigs paid exactly. off. Exactly, that's like, exactly right. It does not shit. I mean, it shook us, it shook but it us. didn't like 
shake. It didn't break us. Yeah. yeah. No, because that's true. I, I do think those are those those moments where, man, if you hadn't had those just dead nights of playing through all your stuff and just looking at the clock and being like, we got to keep going, uh, something about that time just like lays a foundation of confidence that, yeah, you're you're ready for just about anything. Yeah. Speaking of anything, what are some of the other like moments that come to mind if I say just like ridiculous gigs, terrible situations, confusing uh, either audience like interactions? <laughs> I don't know. What? Where do you want to go? Well, about halfway through one of our sets one time, an outdoor set, they brought a forklift in behind us. <laughs> And started putting up the lights that people would need to see us later. Oh, yeah. Mid-song, mid-set, just raising forklift construction. You know, it's like a makeshift truss system with, like, some work lights hanging off of it. Right. You know, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, this is happening. Yeah. So, so like, I guess... <laughs> you had all day to right. put this up. Like, they paid us a pretty good rate to play this gig... And at some point, it seems like no one thought about lights. It's gonna get dark until <laughs> <laughs> we're playing. And so then, yeah, go get the forklift, and we'll just. And it was, yeah, it's it kind of like a throwback to the days when the uh, the the TV's on behind you because <laughs> yeah. it's like everybody's looking, and you're like, "What is happening behind us?" Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some fun ones. Yeah. Other other good ones. We had some. So every now and then, you you don't really know what you're looking like on stage. Like, we have zero idea until somebody takes a picture and we see it after the fact. Or, like, we get, like, tons of, like, James Cunningham in Charlottesville does amazing lights behind us. Yeah. And I'm always like, man, I'm, like, peeking out of the corner of my eye trying to, like, see. But even then, you don't get the perspective of what's happening. You see things moving on a wall. Like, That's pretty cool, I think. Yeah. But I can recall one that we did also on the other side of it that was interesting where they were like, do you mind if you we put some images up behind you during your set? <laughs> I know your music and I've cultivated these images that would make sense for the songs or whatever. And we're kind of like, all right, sure. Why not? Seems kind of cool. You know, sure. it'd be like a little movie reel or whatever going behind Absolutely. us. And we, every now and then, like, I know all of us could kind of see a little bit. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I don't know what exactly that that's doing, but then Jesse, our sound man after the show, he had the, you know, the front row seat of the whole thing. He was just like, those images were crazy. Like they had nothing to do with most of the songs. And, and we're not a real, we've never been real keen about being super literal with yeah. the music anyhow. So yeah. it's like, just because we're saying the word train doesn't necessarily mean we're talking about a train. But even then, if we said the word train, there was no train on the, these yeah. were like, oh, suddenly there's a cat. Or whatever. Right. <laughs> You're like, oh, the cat's like, playing with the ball of string. just scrolling their yeah. photo album. It's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like YouTube. And it's like, yeah. Puts on the next feed and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's exactly. weird. I never would have went there. Well, that's that was happening behind us one right, time. Right, right. I remember uh, a gig, well, this is back to the wedding days, but I mean, weddings are always weird. Oh, yeah. But like some of my favorite weird gigs or situations and most memorable were weddings. And there was one particular one that I think had the highlights, for me at least, <laughs> <laughs> because... It was a combination of like, so, so sometimes we're hired to play in the wedding. Sometimes we're hired to play the reception. And that's most likely, like that's most common. Other times we've been hired to do kind of a, a, a little bit of both. Like we play a song or two in the wedding and then we go do the, but typically if you're doing the reception 
it's going to be at a different place. Uh, not always, because sometimes if it's an outdoor wedding, it's kind of like just turn. shift over. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Well, in this case, that was the case. Uh, but but if I remember right, we so we were supposed to get there and set up for the reception, and we br- again in those days we're bringing our own sound system, so it's like all this hassle of like hauling the stuff up and setting it up. But then we realize, like as we're setting up, it's like, oh, the wedding's about to start, and it's like right here. Um, you know, slightly different like orientation. We're kind of over to the side, but but they get started and they have zero sound system for the wedding, no microphone, no nothing. And the music that they walk into, I mean, we're standing right there. So it does feel like also like a a, a poor use of resources because <laughs> it's like we could play you a song yeah. if you want. But instead, they they crank up like the car stereo of somebody's pickup truck oh. and, <laughs> and they hit play so that they can start so that the bride can come down just at that moment. That's the only time I think they used music. Yep. But they hit play and the bride... Like, doesn't come, doesn't come. And finally, it's like somebody runs up and it's like, that's the wrong song. It's track number six or <laughs> yeah. whatever. And so then they switch it out and they get the right song. She comes out. So that was the first part. I almost that, feel like there might have been two false starts. Maybe it was, yeah. <laughs> two <laughs> wrong songs. the same wrong song, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, then we go ahead and like, okay, the wedding happens and it's all a little bit weird, but we start playing the reception and that was one of those situations where you realized we were hired by like maybe the father of the bride is my memory and uh and this is long enough ago that honestly I couldn't even recall the names of these people yeah, to um and at this point I think we were more just like a band for hire it wasn't like somebody's friend it was just a total I think the father had seen us somewhere Yeah okay it's like oh you guys are good you guys are good I don't think anybody else knew there right. who we were Yeah that's so that's what was weird about it was like <laughs> he was the one who hired us but like there was a falling out between him and maybe the mother of the bride is the way we sort of guessed because at some point the like mother of the bride and and her side of the family was wanting to start a <laughs> start a, like a a photo album or it's like a slideshow uh, memory reel in the reception but we were told we were supposed to keep playing yeah we we're play till 8 or yeah, whatever play the till time whatever was. the time was so we were contracted to like play till this time but like they're setting up a slideshow like kind of right in front of us and we're sort of looking at each other like well do we keep playing and all of a sudden at one point the like it, it must be like the grandmother or whatever like looks over at us and gives us like the I mean what is this symbol yeah, it's like the, sli- uh, like cutting your neck yeah, kind of it, like shut it down basically like <laughs> yeah just get out of here stop oh no 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 that wasn't that's what she should have done but instead she gave us the thumbs down that was the signal she oh gave yeah us. I thought maybe she did the double command but she did the thumbs down like <laughs> 10 feet, 15 feet right in front of us, dead center. Yes, just a very... stage, and there's air quotes around that stage. Yeah, there we was probably no on stage. A carpet we brought. So yeah, that was a low point, but also <laughs> just one of those things that was so we, surreal. We were like... stuck in the middle. It was like the, <laughs> you know, the two sides that didn't see eye to eye yeah. were kind of like feeding through us, and we're like, we're just... Right. We don't even know anybody's name here. Yeah, you know? we're we're not... We we're don't have hire. an agenda. <laughs> we, we, we were told we should play our music. Yeah, that was really funny. Yeah, um, but... Yeah, you know, you had some of those weird, crazy moments, and then you also had, I, you know, on the on the other side, I can still remember like the first time we went to the Stoughton Opera House in Stoughton, Wisconsin. Yeah, like I don't know what it was about that night. The venue is amazing. It's like a restored twenties era opera houses, which are really cool to start with. 
you know, the seats are right on top of you. It's a weird slanted. It's got the little mezzanine. It's like all the things that are cool about those old places. But whatever it was, it was electric that night with the crowd. Yeah. We were feeling good. Maybe our first few times in Wisconsin, maybe the first time, I can't even recall. It was just like you hit those little, it's like, and sometimes you go back and it's still one of our favorite venues. Yeah. Y'all are going back here soon. Yeah. And it's like, it never quite hits that electric moment again, but it's really good. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, for whatever reason it is, you hit those every now and then. I always think we had one in New Haven, Connecticut, where it was yeah. like, we had never played there. Nobody should ever notice. But for some reason, we don't even think it had anything to do with us necessarily. The place was sold out. Packed. And people were they're just like, they're turning electric. people away. Yeah. We, we've never played here. And we had a great time. It was a dive bar. Yeah. And we've tried it a few other times after that, and it was okay, but it just, right. It, whatever happened that night, you know, sometimes yeah. you can't bottle that stuff up, but those are the cool memories of like things just hit right in whatever reason in a town totally. somewhere. The venue may have been okay, but whatever happened that night made it amazing or vice versa. I mean, like we played some really amazing rooms where it's like, eh, that was okay. Right. It was a fine, sh- a fine show, but it, did we connect to anybody? You know, you don't always, right. and, and you do, but you just, you don't always get that feedback immediate of like, wow, that we were given as much as they were given and it was this perfect relationship yeah. on the night. Yeah, do you think, I mean, I think about that, like, especially in the COVID-19 times, there's a lot more, uh, you know, people are leaving bigger cities at times because you can work from home. And so there's a lot more sort of like spreading out. You know, Montana is a hot spot of like, <laughs> people are buying up houses yeah. so they can get out of the bigger cities or whatever. Um the Steel Wheels have been playing shows to small towns all over the country for years. Do you have any memories of particular sort of towns and venues that are definitely off the beaten path, but were uniquely special and able to deliver just a special experience for us and for the audience? Yeah, I always think of the Nebraska-Eastern Colorado corridor. There's a group of four to five, I'll call them promoters now. They're not promoters, but that's, that's what they've ended up becoming and just music lovers that had a space or a vision. Um, and it's not on, I mean, it's on the way to places kind of, but not really. It's these small towns that are probably 5,000 people on down and sometimes much less. Yeah. You know, we, so we, we started doing a thing where we would, we would stop in Hastings, Nebraska and then Loomis, Nebraska. And then we'd go to McCook, nebraska and then you end up in ray colorado and all these places that ended up becoming very near and dear to our hearts more so for all the relationships that we made out of those shows like those people all turned into our friends and people we cared about and we've seen you know some people die through those we've seen people get married some people leave the towns we've seen thrive and go down and, and come back up and it's it's i think those are the parts that i'm missing the most and will miss the most is like those relationships and those venues and those off the beaten we've always been the steel was have always been like the kings of rural america <laughs> like we showed in new york city and five people come out <laughs> you put us in mccook nebraska and we can pack the house for a whole yeah. week you know yeah, yeah and we love that maybe it's because a lot of us grew up in those those small areas where you know it is the only thing going on in town and people do appreciate the fact that you are bringing an art and a craft to their area that's not on 
an interstate or whatever. Right. And so, yeah, those, those places are super special. And like, we, we made it our bread and butter and still continue to like, let's go play Ray Colorado and we'll play two, three nights in a row. And there's no reason these people should be coming out on a Monday and a Tuesday night and selling the place out, but they do. Right. And, you know, and EJ and Renee and all the crew there are like super near to our hearts and our friends, like they're true friends. And yeah, that's, that's the awesome part that comes out of it. It's not, you know, not just going in and wow, we crushed this crowd and then we get in the hotel and go back home. Right. You know, like that's the boring part of it is the, <laughs> the traveling to and from, but it's like the destination and the relationships you make out of it. Yeah, great. Like, well, and it, it kind of almost goes back to what you said earlier of like, we were always about, you know, just give us a chance. Like we, w- if we can get in front of you, like we'll connect. And I think the nice thing that I enjoy about a small town show is it feels insulated from like, like you're not worried that like, well, yes, you're not worried that there's something else going on in town, maybe in some of these really small towns, but also it's like, it doesn't matter whether you've gotten a huge press bump by, you know, a big article that went in this huge, uh, important music business journal or something like they just care about what you're doing on stage right now. And if it connects to them, they're all in. And to me, I think that's always been really refreshing is because that's what the live music element is. It's about this moment. And if if you don't connect to what we're doing right now, then maybe we're not doing well. But if you do, then nothing else matters. Like it doesn't matter what the press release says. It doesn't matter what the charts say. It doesn't matter whatever. It's like th- that's what's special about this moment. Yeah. And music. a lot of those people are pitching to us as like, just give us a chance. Yeah. Like give right. our give our small town that you've never heard of and don't even know where it's at on the map. True. A chance. And we go there and we're always just like, wow. Well, and they're usually awesome. they're usually so generous. Yeah. And I mean that's part of it is like EJ you, that you mentioned in Ray Colorado. I mean it's of of those promoters we've probably played the most shows there at 4th and Main in yep. Ray Colorado and uh and in part it's because he's been just overwhelmingly generous yeah. and it's and a real champion of yeah. what we're doing yeah like you walk out of there and you're like he's like that new song you did tonight was amazing right and you're like oh that's awesome thanks you've, for paying attention yeah, you've yeah. heard everything we've done we've played so many shows there now but like right. keyed in that that was a different twist on that thing or whatever and yeah yeah it's yeah it's, it's a genuine it's a genuine part of america right right really really quality people that you know will surprise you. Yeah. There's all these stereotypes of like, well, you're just a bunch of farmers or whatever. And that may be true or may not be true, but right. like it's, that doesn't matter. Like they're, they're good people. And yeah. yeah. Well, and they're, they're listeners. They like, I think there's, yeah, it's easy to write off some, some parts of the country. Uh, but there's, there's deep thinkers and listeners in every single pocket of this country that we've found. And, and yeah, that's not to say like we've had great shows in Seattle and Chicago and Ann Arbor, Michigan, and like all over in bigger cities as well. Uh, but there's, there, I think is something really special about some of these little pockets that you find for sure. Uh, any, any stories about broken down vehicles or like the weirdest or worst, uh, situations in terms of travel that you can think of? Yeah. Travel is the, that's the grinding part of the business. 
or can be. It's not it's always. It's not the part people think about, yeah. that's for sure. It is a big part of the day, though, often. And I've I've realized over the years how skewed my sense of travel is. Because even now, people will be like, man, that's like five hours away. I'm like, oh, that's not bad. Right. What like, if we got about? a five-hour gig, we're all like, that's pretty that's sweet. A good day. We, can, yeah. we don't have to leave the hotel till noon yeah, <laughs> or yeah. whatever, you know. So, yeah, anyhow, you get into that, and, like, we've had some doozies. Going to the West Coast is always a grinder, because we always get the 6 a.m. flight, same day as the show, so that means leaving our house at 2, in the airport at 4, you know, on the plane at 6, and then you go across, land at 10 a.m. in Portland. Right. And then play a show that night, but you're already, like, you've already been up for 12 hours. And you're trying to figure (laughs) out the, yeah, the time zone you're in after that weird travel. We finally got pretty good where we could arrange, like, Hey, guess what? We've already booked the hotel. We're yeah. going straight there and we're going to sleep right. and then play a show. Then you're pretty normal. But you get some situations like that. And then our, our biggest travel on the ground that we ever did was played a show in San Diego. I think we finished around 10. We were pretty motivated to pack up. And then, so we'd been up all day already. Or I don't recall exactly where. I don't think we were coming from real far that, that day. But we went down to San Diego, played a show. And then drove straight through to Virginia without stopping other than one meal in Midland, Texas. Yes. <laughs> we stopped for a meal, but you're not burning any calories. Like, we really <laughs> sat in the van. The meal was more just to, like, break up the yeah, trip. <laughs> fill up something. We took, like, a half Stretch, hour because yeah. we're fast eaters. <laughs> did the burrito thing. And then we did, basically, other than gas, and if somebody had to pee or something, we didn't stop. Yeah. So it was 38 straight hours right. in the van. I saw two sunrises. We had a shift. Yeah. We got in a rotation where we had only four of us driving yeah. home. And we got in a rotation. Basically, you could end up with eight hours in the front seats and then eight hours in the bunks or yeah. the back seats or whatever you needed to do. Right. So it's a pretty good shift, but you know you can't just immediately flip a switch off and say, well, I'm going to sleep now for eight hours. It's yeah. two in the afternoon or whatever. Like right. It doesn't always work that way, especially for me. But like yeah. it was like... I saw two sunrises from the driver's seat, just the way the rotation Man. happened. Right. I was like, this is so surreal. Like, <laughs> I haven't left the van, and I've seen the sunrise twice. Yeah. But we made it, and I was, it's something I don't ever want to do again, but we can totally <laughs> check off of, like, we did 38 straight hours without stopping. It's true. I don't know that a lot of people have had that experience. And, and yeah, I mean, we drive in a Ford Transit, like, high-top van, and it's... Sponsor it's, the steel wheels, Ford. That's right, Ford. <laughs> Ford. Um, but... But it, Brian was responsible for putting these bunks in the van. So we have these two bunks that everybody in the band, even the tallest guys, can stretch out. And and that is a game changer. We don't use them a ton. I mean, I think there's still like every once in a while you get a little freaked out about like how safe is it to be yeah. laying down in a bunk while you're driving down the road? Probably not very. It's not great. But for those it's not different than a tour bus though is what i always think of like how is that any safer yeah, i don't might know flip easier i don't know yeah yeah maybe anyway <laughs> <laughs> um we're not uh this is not for the ears of our insurance company um or our mothers yes <laughs> um but yeah for those long drives it's super valuable especially if you're a person like me who can sleep True. in a in a moving vehicle gift. it is a gift uh, a gift that you've never had, never had. <laughs> but on the on the flip side and the bright side you can drive in in the middle of the night without any problems and and you feel safer with myself no matter how bad it is oh man but yeah your your tolerance for very little sleep is unbelievable um yeah broken down i mean we haven't had terrible terrible 
catastrophes. No, we've had a few like weird ones in the middle of the night, laying around the pavements or coming up with plans that aren't always ideal. <laughs> we've never missed a show from a broken down vehicle. Yeah. Which yeah. is crazy to think Knock about. On wood, yeah. Yeah, we've yeah. had some really close calls and we've had some rearranging. Ironically, we've had several times when things went bad at the end of a tour. Like That's true. Our previous van, like the timing chain broke and it was done for. And that was at the end of a run. Yeah, we were just heading home. I mean, we were stuck, but it wasn't like we were stuck and we couldn't go to the show. It's like we're after leaving. And then, yeah, the the other one I think about is that run all the way home from Colorado where we dropped off. We were coming out of Leadville. Kevin and Jay, yeah. And it was really limping and acting weird. And we had 11,000 feet. It's a Sunday. It's always a sun. It's always some day when you don't have access. Right. You don't have any mechanics. AM or a Sunday. Yeah. And, and you, that was one of those times when I remember just thinking, like, man, if we didn't have Brian on this trip, I do not know what we would have done because you were able to somehow determine that it was related to the spark plugs and then we found we got to denver after we dropped off jay and kevin at the airport found a place and opened at 7 a.m yeah found an auto zone or something <laughs> like that bought the spark plugs and and we you you replaced them sitting there in the in the parking lot and it sure enough it it ran pretty well for a yeah. while um do you have any advice I and mean, we already talked about like going out and playing every show and just getting, you know, time under your belt. But like, yeah, for a young musician, uh, what do you, you know, what do you, what would you say to like a young aspiring songwriter or musician who, you know, like assuming they have promise, assuming they've got great music that if you take that off the, off the table, like what are the parts of like, how do you get started? What do you, what, I don't know. Do you have any advice of what you've learned? I mean, I think, I think some of that rural America actually is, something I was comfortable with or still would be comfortable with recommending, you know, like, yes, you should probably go to New York city, but don't do that. Your first tour, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. find something safe, find something where, you know, some friends throw a backyard show, right. You know, all those things that we've played and still occasionally will do of like, you know, we don't know that many people in this area, but it feels like a spot we should be like, you don't be afraid to, it may not be the sexy, flashy venue or something you can even really put on your resume, but that will probably lead to like the actual true growth and fans and friends that come out of it. Of like, right. there might be 30 people in a living room listening to you, but those 30 people, if you do a good job, are going to be locked in. Yeah. And the next time you come to the area, it may be a bigger living room or it might be a bigger venue. If you at least have those 30, they're going to come and they're hopefully to bring another friend and I think that's a a huge key and just don't, don't try to do too much too early. I think if that happens, it's great, but I think it's also a really tough way to burn yourself out. Yeah. Like, man, I went to New York city and Boston and back down through and I just got beat down and the hotels are $300 a night. You know, like if you're lucky to stay in a hotel, you're probably not at that point. Right. Right. And we always also modeled ourselves touring pretty frugally. Yeah. And that definitely has paid dividends. It allowed us to go full-time probably at a point before we deserved to go full-time. <laughs> of like, you know what? We can pay for gas and some food and a few little luxury things right. here and there of like, we're going to we're going to eat out two meals today or what? whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, but, but yeah, keep it skinny too, right? Like the Stay at a friend's house. Or, yeah, stay at a friend's house if you can possibly do it. 
do it. Like whatever, in terms of the business side, especially early on, like if you have any skills in Photoshop, if you have any skills in design, like don't farm out those things. You, you need constant images and constant posters. And it's even more so now with social media being so much of the way you get the word out. But yeah, I think those aspects of saving the dollar when you can and then knowing when you should spend the money and knowing when you should get partners because i know like for us we saw huge dividends once we got a booking agent yeah that was key it was huge and and at first we're like i don't know is that a good idea we're giving over control and we're giving like some of the money but we made that money back so quickly because you're paying for the connections and the you know it's just such a different we were in rooms we wouldn't have yeah. probably ever got into right like you just and, and a lot of it is perception and it's just the unfortunate side of the business of like hey i'm trent wagger i do some great music do you want to book us and they're going to be most of the time no yeah. or they won't even yeah. pick up the phone or answer the email right but you're like uh, i'm brian dickel i represent the steel wheels yeah you know, i used to do that a lot in the early days of like i'm a bass player they already i'm not the household <laughs> bass anyhow so like i can drop my name in there and be like i represent the steel wheels and if they ever asked i would say oh yeah and I, I, play I am bass. in the band, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would never volunteer that information in the early days of like, you know, having just a third party representation gives a sense of legitimacy, whether mm-hmm. it's right or not. Right. Like, oh, they must be doing something. They got an agency. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so they give you a chance. It's like, oh, they were really good. You right. Know? Well, and I think it's important to be able to identify and know your strengths. And I think, you know, we were lucky, I think, to like to fall into this creative and artistic endeavor where we have, you know, these musical creatives within the band, but also the wherewithal within the band to be able to hold together things like this that we're talking yeah. about the business side so much. It's not every band has that. Yeah. And that was my strength. Like I can't I can't write a song to save my life that's worth anything. But You haven't tried, Brian. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, well, why would I write songs when Trent writes really great songs? Like Yeah. I know how to do this because I grew up in small business and that's kind of been like I can I can offer my skills that way. And, sure. You know, and Jay like has picked up a ton of video work in the last. It's like it's really cool. To, like we've always been a real DIY kind of like. Well, I think I can figure that out, right. or I already know how to do that, or whatever. And you just can't be afraid of all that work. And it and, does yeah, come I think out. Don't farm it out to people. If you yeah. Have to. Right. I think it does come out of a of a like a real small business kind of initiative idea of like yeah I grew up on a farm where. I mean, you got to figure it out when you're out there in the field yeah. and something breaks down. And that's, to some degree, uh, sort of the initiative that we at least, that's our default. And then we also are ready to say, wait a minute, guys, we don't know how to do this. And we need to get somebody who yeah. does know when when the time comes. And I think we've also had some great partnerships that I think we've learned, you know, uh, you know, Sam Kassir as a as a producer yeah. has been a huge pivot point for our band creatively, artistically, and you know, previous to that, we always self produced because yeah. we can make an album. And, and, and even at that, going into that album, I remember we had the discussion like we did with every album of like, I don't know, do we hire a producer? Yeah, and we'd always kind of at points come back to be like, well, who knows? what we want to sound like more than ourselves, right? You know, and that right. was always like the default argument, and it makes sense. Like, well, yeah. We know what we want to sound like. We're sure. doing this. Yeah. But yeah, when we finally did release a little bit of that control and we, we went into that process and we all kind of said, you know what? We may or may not even agree with everything that he offers, but let's listen and let's try it. Yeah. Yeah. Worst case scenario is we don't like it as well. Sure. And in the end, we walked into that and we were like, whoa, 
I never would have gone anywhere near that sound or right. whatever this idea, like scrap that verse and put a chorus here instead. Yeah. You're like, oh, that works great. And it's like, yeah, I think being open to that, but also being confident in what you are doing. Like mm-hmm. if you have the skill set, do it. Sure. And but then you get to a certain point where it's like, okay, I've I've exhausted I know that I can put out another Steel Wheels album, it's gonna sound pretty good and people are gonna yeah. like it. Yeah. But let's Let's see what happens. Let's yeah. Let's that was a, be open to growth, and yeah. I and I do think I mean that came at a time, and I mean, out of that album came us inviting Kevin into the band, and I mean Kevin's been a huge part of the way our sound has changed and shifted, and uh, you and know, a, and a good mind behind the scenes that people are totally like he's, yeah. He's the he's the right guy for that. You know? Absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. When those when all those pieces and everybody brings their skill sets in, that's where the magic can happen. Of like. You know, we get to do the the fun part for an hour and a half on stage. Yeah, but it's like all the pieces that get you there. You gotta you either gotta have a team that's outside of the band or or in the band or you know a little bit of both, which is what we've always done. Right. When it works well, it works well. Like yeah, it's been such a drama free band, and yeah, but, you know that's that's such a key. Oh man, well, and I mean, there's so much drama, right? Like when you're touring. When you're dealing with a different venue each night, a different travel situation, a different sleeping situation, a lot of like stress. it's a lot of stress, and there can be a lot of drama already. And so, the more you can keep the core of what is constant, <laughs> constant, is really helpful. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I and mean, I think all those years we traveled together too, like we understand each other really well, like personality wise. And, yeah, and like you can tell, like okay, like we need to give so and so a little space. But they're fine. Like they're not right. angry at us. Yeah. You know, it's just this is life right now. Yes. And, you know, it might not have anything to do with the band and and all those things, and then be there for them, vice versa. Like if they're ready to talk or need something, like that's that's been super. You know, that's the quality parts that yeah magic about the band. That sure. Can't take for granted. It's like that's that's such a good situation. That, and that's what made me leaving super hard for me personally too. Mm. It's like I wasn't leaving. It'd almost be easier if it's like man to get out of these uh, <laughs> yeah. you know away from these guys or whatever right like it was like a a 1a and a 1b it was what mm. you know i had two great situations and so it was like a yeah it's that's the that's the tough part about leaving because those are those are the great parts having the support having the you know camaraderie the, the van time is boring but it's also the time when we all come together is there any other stories that come to mind that i think i think we're good we, we can always you know Come back around Come for, back another around episode, for another episode, maybe season three. If this is the big hit, <laughs> more <laughs> chats with Brian in your exactly. basement. Now, I do, I do think it'd be fun to get the whole band together sometime. Oh man, if just nothing else it. for our own selves, we'll just record. exactly set no. the tape and see what happens. That's right. Well, thanks for joining me. It's, yeah, thanks it's, for having me. Yeah, it's fun to chat about these things and get deep into the memories. Special thanks to Brian Dickel for the conversation. Uh, also, as always, thank you to Matt Bingay at WMRA for his help in editing. And thank you for listening. We only have one more episode in Season 2 coming up uh, for our final song of Everyone a Song Volume 2. So pay attention for that. It should be released next week. And um, as always, you can check out anything about the Steel Wheels, our tour schedules, our merchandise still available for Christmas uh, or any holiday of your choice um, at www.thesteelwheels.com. 
We thank you. We love you. We made you a song.